0: All right, Um, so this morning we're gonna be talking about addressing the issue of homosexuality in our culture. I think all of us who are evangelical Christians in America know what a battleground this has been. It's been increasingly hostile. Uh, It's going to get worse, I think. I remember at one Gospel Coalition meeting, uh, Tim Keller made the the statement, good people are going to go to jail on this. Um, And it hasn't reached that level yet. It is at that level in Canada that if you speak biblical truth publicly in certain forums, you can be arrested for hate speech. Um, and we see the general direction in our culture going toward that. What I want us to do before we get into the, end of the handout is just to renew our understanding of why God left us in this world. Once we've come to faith in Christ, we are left here to serve him. We are left here to do the works that he's prepared for us to do for the praise of his glory. That's what we're here for. When we die, we Christians, we're going to go to heaven. And we're going to be free of all death, mourning, crying, and pain. And in in the meantime, we have a lot of death, mourning, crying, and pain to go through, honestly. Some of our brothers and sisters literally die for the spread of the gospel. They literally lay down their lives so that lost people can be brought to faith. And that's been true for 20 centuries. Uh, Others go through less than that, but still great suffering. They're incarcerated, they lose their freedom. Uh, And they continue to to witness boldly. And why? Because the Holy Spirit of God has come on them and given them power to speak the truth. And because we believe that Satan has bound people in his dark kingdom of lies. They They are wrapped up in chains they cannot see, chains of sin and death. And they're under the curse of the law. They're under condemnation. And we have been set free from that. We are not slaves to sin anymore. We're not slaves to Satan, we're set free. We have a new king, Jesus, and we serve freely. And we have been given a mission, like Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prove stronger than it." He sends us back into the dark place to rescue the perishing, to rescue, to quarry out living stones, as I've said many times before. That, and we do it with, with like metaphorically, spiritually bullets flying all around, bombs blowing up all around us. It's a war. It's a war. Satan doesn't give his people up easily. And the very people that we're seeking to reach, we believe they are chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in God's sight. They're chosen by God, by name, before the foundation of the world. We just don't know who they are. They are unconverted elect people. Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. So we're going to go try to find them. And the unconverted elect looked exactly like unconverted non-elect. One thing we can't know, theologically in this world, we can't know who the reprobate are, the non-elect. We'll never know that in this world. We just keep trying and trying and trying and trying to reach people. No matter how much trouble they give us. And unconverted elect people can give the converted a lot of trouble. (laughs) I mean, look what Saul of Tarsus did to the church. It says in, in Acts 8... Saul began to destroy the church. It's amazing. That same man later wrote, if anyone destroys God's church, God will destroy him. Well, God didn't destroy Saul. Saved him. And he never forgot the grace of God that was shown him. So when we come to homosexuality, because of the ratcheting up of rhetoric and the heat and the hostility and the unconstitutional things that are even said, the anti-free speech type of things that are said, that we have no right to even articulate our biblical views, to even speak them. It's, uh, you know, we, we should just rewrite the First Amendment. We have no right to that kind of freedom of speech. Wow, is that where we're at now? We're at that place, it's gonna get worse. With all of that hostility, it's easy to forget that we're supposed to love our enemies and turn the other cheek, and that the church advances not by killing, but by dying. Not by treating people badly, but by tr- being treated badly. And returning kindness. The church has done this for 20 centuries. That's what we're called to do, because people who are trapped in this lifestyle, just like any other sinful idolatrous lifestyle, there's lots of different forms of idolatry. Not everybody is wrapped up, actually a small percentage of people wrapped up in this particular sin. It's just very famous. This, this one sin pattern is just thought about all the time in our culture. The people that are trapped in this, they, as I said, they're wrapped up in invisible chains, and, and Jesus came to break every yoke. He came to set people free. We do them no favors by lying about their true spiritual condition. They are drinking spiritual poison, and it will kill them. Never forget that. They, as, as they're trapped in the homosexual lifestyle, they are drinking a spiritual poison that is progressively killing them. And the wages of sin is death. And we know that the death in Romans 6, uh, uh, Romans 3:23, 23, or 6, 23, the r- wages of sin is death is not physical death. It's hell. It's the second death. That's what Paul's talking about there. We know that we're going to die if the Lord doesn't return in our lifetime. Everybody's going to die physically. So the wages of sin, the wages of homosexuality, of the, of the lesbian lifestyle, that is eternal death. We know that. We know that from the Scripture. We know that that's what, what the Scripture teaches. We yearn to see people set free from that. And so we have, we're called on in Ephesians to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And so what that means is speak orthodox doctrine, speak orthodox soteriology, justification by faith in Jesus alone. All sins can be forgiven. Sanctification, where holiness transforms out of corrupt lifestyles of all sorts, however they're defined by the Bible, all that corruption put to death. New life, that's salvation. Then glorification, instantaneous transformation by the power of God into perfect, radiant holiness. That's the gospel. So we're supposed to speak that truth and all other biblical truths, that truth in love. And love is patient. Love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. That's the combination God's given us. And we're going to be hurt along the way. We're going to be slandered. But remember, Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. So that happens on this issue right now that's going on in our country. It's one of the few issues in which we can just guarantee we're going to be persecuted. All right, so that's not even in my handouts, uh, but it's just what I wanted to say. So that's like, that's like, if you don't learn anything else, just kind of learn that. This is what we're about here. What we have to do is remind ourselves of the biblical teaching on homosexuality. People have tried, and I think for the most part, people have given up trying to harmonize the Bible with the homosexual lifestyle. I mean, there's still some that try. It just can't be done. So it's not to say that there aren't churches that hang out the rainbow flag. I was saying to the elders, is there any chance we can get the rainbow back? And he's like, nope. (laughs) We started flying the flag and say, it's not what you think. You know, we'd get in immediate trouble. So I think we just have to somehow, they came in the night and took the rainbow away from Noah's Ark and all that. So it's still, when I see a real rainbow, I still think of the faithfulness and promises of God. But at any rate, the point is that... um, you know, as we're committed to speaking the truth, we've got to go back again to bi- the biblical truth. And so there's going to be the biblical truth today on homosexuality. What does the Bible say about it? And also on the power of gospel, uh, of the gospel to transform people out of that lifestyle. That's the lesson today. And we're going to begin with some of our culture, but I don't know that we need a lot of help on this. All right. I think we know what's going on. So I could. I, there's a lot of different ways to get into what's going on in American culture on the LGBT stuff i mean there was my wife watches the local news every night i came to her at like at, you know half hour after it started. that's about when she turns it off and it's like was there any good news at all she said no nope, not today <laughs> there's usually like a human interest story of a you know a puppy that was lost and someone found it and brought it back you know other than that it's just so many bad news car accidents bus accidents just all kinds of things like why do you watch it i shouldn't i should stop all right anyway uh, but they had a gay pride event somewhere in the triangle yesterday um uh, where was it? In Durham? All right. Uh, I, I don't watch, watch the news, but we understand where we live, you know, and, and there's a central focus on this issue here in our, in our right in our community. So, um, all right, but let's begin by talking about gay marriage. Uh, that's a, uh, a landmark corrupt decision by the Supreme Court. The thing that's so bizarre about Roe versus Wade is that, you know, when you when you when, when the Congress um, evaluates Supreme Court justices, they bring up a Latin phrase, "Stare Decisis," which is to stand on what has been decided. It's got to do with legal precedent, and so legal precedent is the ongoing basis of our system of jurisprudence. So they want to be certain that the Supreme Court justices are going to stand on Roe v.ersus Wade and not remove what's been decided. So this this phrase, "Stare Decisis," you know, what has been decided, we stand on. Yeah, what happened to millennia of what's been decided on defining marriage. I got swept away in 2015 with this uh, Supreme Court decision on gay marriage. It's incredible, the inconsistency on this. So uh, Obergefell versus Hodges legal case in which the US Supreme Court ruled five to four on June 26, 2015, that state bans on same-sex marriage and on recognizing same-sex marriages duly performed in other jurisdictions are unconstitutional under due process and equal protection clauses of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution. So in that case, then any attempt to prohibit same-sex marriages is is illegal. Now in 2015, before that decision, I was doing a BFL class and this is probably the fifth or sixth BFL class I've done on LGBT stuff. I've never taught anything different. So uh, it's already online, you can see what I've said, but this is gonna be the same teaching. But anyway, I wrote this or found this. Time magazine says no matter what the Supreme Court decides, the nation has already made its decision. The battle is over. So on the cover of Time magazine, gay marriage has already won. The Supreme Court hadn't made up his mind, but America has. What's interesting about that is how the mainstream media kind of goes ahead of, uh, of uh, perception and opinion and kind of makes it for us, tells us what we already believe. It, it, just the deviousness and twisted lying that goes on all the time by the media is staggering. But anyway quote in recent days weeks months the verdict on same-sex marriage has been rendered by rapidly shifting public opinion and by the spectacle of swing vote politicians scrambling to keep up with it with stunning speed a concept dismissed by even by most gay rights leaders just 20 years ago is now embraced by half or more of all americans with support among young voters running as high as four to one so we talked about how the gay uh, movement kind of gained its position in american culture Uh, It's a boiling the frog kind of strategy. Little by little by little, we're moving in that direction. Um, And so we're beyond acceptance now. It's become quite militant. It's it's basically like if you have any uh, contrary opinion, you're going to be shouted down, if not physically assaulted, depending on the setting, college campuses, other things. It's very, very hard to stand up and speak. You can get kicked out of classes. Uh, you know, writing a paper from a a biblical point of view. Young Life got kicked off Duke recently, two weeks ago, I think, by having just standard biblical view on sexuality. Interestingly, they didn't kick off the Muslims and Roman Catholics who have this exact same view. So they're just going after the evangelical Christians um, because, you know, that's the the focus. Anyway, so sitcoms show uh, various gay figures in a sympathetic light. Um, (coughs) Politicians have caved on this issue as well. Bill Clinton signed the traditional Defense of Marriage Act in 1996. I bet you didn't know that. Uh, But now calls the bill a mistake. Uh, Others, like Republican Senator Rob Portman from Ohio, changed his mind on homosexual marriage after finding out that his son was homosexual. Others have, quote, learned and changed. The strategic linking of gay rights to the struggle for civil rights has been a slam dunk for their cause. During a Harrison Ford interview with David Letterman on The Tonight Show, in which Ford was talking about his role of, as Branch Ricky in the movie 42, about Jackie Robinson, Letterman brought up the issue of gay marriage as a civil rights issue, and the studio, studio audience clapped vigorously. So there's that linking. So this is what they talk about, what you would say, the moral high ground, so to speak. It's ironic. Think about Isaiah. Woe to you who put evil for good and good for evil, put light for dark and dark for light, and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They just switch everything around, but they have taken, so they believe, the moral high ground because they link it to the civil rights experience 50s and 60s. Quote, homophobia is like racism and antisemitism and other forms of bigotry in that it seeks to dehumanize a large group of people to deny their humanity, their dignity, and personhood. This sets the stage for further repression and violence that spread all too easily to victimize the next minority group," end quote, Coretta, Coretta Scott King, uh, in an interview. So, central message here is I've already given it in my kind of preamble: Christians must speak and live out the truth in love to minister effectively to the challenge posed by homosexuality in our age. So behind this, as I said last week, we're talking about biblical manhood and womanhood and understanding gender biblically, is a general kind of satanic attack on gender, the significance of gender. So this this morning, I'm gonna preach the final sermon on meat sacrifice to idols, and then the next two weeks we'll be addressing the topic of uh, head coverings and gender-based authority in the church. And so just the idea of a gender-based authority in the church and at home is offensive to our culture, um, but it's just part of Satan's attack on gender, all right? So let's talk about this phrase, homophobia. Uh, have you ever heard it? Mm-hmm. Any of you heard it? All right. I was just, just wanted, I mean, sometimes I can get in it like an academic ivory tower, and I'm being totally facetious right now. Perfect. Homophobia, by definition, must be an irrational fear of homosexuality or homosexuals but the gay rights agenda has pushed a broader definition to include an opposition to homosexuality itself. That results in a general lumping together of anyone who thinks homosexuality is wrong with those who would become violent or abusive against homosexuals. That's clearly slanderous, but it's happening commonly. In other words, anyone who opposes homosexuality and illegally assaults another person, we are seen colored by that, you know, guilt by association so that we would attack, physic- physically attack gay people because somebody did that somewhere, like Matthew Shepard, that kind of thing. And so the Laramie Project, all that is just that physical assaulting of gay people. That is, that is not a Christian position. It's just like the, the Crusades. That is not what Jesus unleashed the church to do. That's not the way we advance. That's never been Christianity, it never was. Just because some people call it that doesn't make it true. So you have to distance yourself from that. Our desire is to win them through the words and the love of the gospel to faith in Christ, not to assault them or attack them at all. But we all get lumped together. Behind the homophobia label is the sense that there's something wrong with us. There's something like intrinsically sick about us. There's a twistedness in our mind. So the phobia like uh, claustrophobia, fear of constricted spaces, you know, acrophobia and unreasonable fear of heights. I think there's a reasonable fear of heights. You know, I, I, if I, I think there's a good chance I might fall. I have a tingle in my, you know, but maybe there's acrophobia like, ah, you know, you shouldn't be afraid at all. But it's all, all the phobias tend to be like mental illness, that kind of thing. So homophobia, there's something wrong with us. Um, What's ironic, though, is it seems like we're moving more and more toward open season on so-called homophobes, where it's then the shoe gets on the other foot. It's not Matthew Shepard that way. Now it's like it's okay to physically attack anyone who is opposed to homosexuality. So I I think it's a bit ironic um, where we're at. So there's uh, something written here about why are Christians homophobic. It's an article that I wrote down. Um, it's helpful to read, but I'm going to skip it. So go ahead and read it. It's, it's useful. We're going to move on. I want to get to the biblical content. That's what we do. So for the last few minutes, it's just been where are we at? And some of this stuff is 2015. Now, that's pretty dated, isn't it? I mean, uh, it's, it's gotten much worse. I mean, with the transgender stuff now, we're at, we're at a whole new place where it's hard to even define gender, where you don't even know what it is. So even the idea that somebody can be genetically homosexual has become passe. Now it's like whatever you feel. So it's, it's, it's like you could be that last week, last month, last year. But now you're something else. Now for a while you'll be heterosexual again. I mean, it's just whatever you want. It's very malleable. So it's, it's ironic. Go ahead. bro. It's already happening, no doubt about It depends on your setting. Like, if you're in in an academic setting, you're on a college campus, I know this for a fact. Um, You know, I've got a a person in my family that's in this setting, and and he just consistently is fighting this issue. So it's it's like you're always coming to the edge of what you can tolerate and still yourself, in your own conscience, keep your job. So it's already happening. It's very, very sad. And again, behind all this, we must see Satan's invisible work at condemning souls. Eternally, That's what's going on here. We've got to see through all of this to the real issue of sin and judgment and hell versus salvation and heaven. That we have to see it that way. And so we have to be willing. The image I frequently get is of somebody drowning in a lagoon, and you're a strong swimmer, and you swim out. And they beat you up the whole way to the shore, and then they spend the rest of their lives thanking you. All right? So that's what it's like to try to win some of these people to Christ. It's a rough journey. And, but there's going to be some people that are going to cross over. And those, those are the ones we're trying to find. It's not going to be a large percentage, but we're looking for the unconverted elect. All right, let's walk through the Scripture now um, and, and just see what the Bible teaches about homosexuality. Uh, we begin with the account of Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, 4-7. <clears throat> it says, uh, before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men? who came to you tonight, bring them out to us so that we can know them, it says in the Hebrew, but clearly they intend to have sexual relations with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. All right, so sadly you see the same thing happening in Israel in the book of Judges. Um, it's almost the exact same thing that happens at the end of Judges. So it's, it's very tragic, the corruption there. We have two key passages from Mosaic Law, Leviticus eighteen, twenty-two, and 23. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. That is perversion. So it's just a a center uh, a, a series of teachings on sexual purity and sexual norms in, uh, for the Jewish nation in Leviticus 18. And then, again, Leviticus 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable, they must be put to death their blood will be on their own head so that's the holiness code as i said leviticus 17 to 26 defining a life separate from the pagans and pure from wickedness leviticus 18 22 occurs in a larger section of forbidden sexual relations that primarily outlaws incest but also adultery child sacrifice and bestiality the degree of revulsion associated with the homosexual act is suggested by the hebrew word translated, translated abomination, or an abhorrent thing, or something detestable, loathsome, utterly repugnant, or disgusting, indicating a conspicuous violation of boundaries set up by God. The penalty, as frequently in the Old Testament, is extreme. It is death, Leviticus 20, verse 13. The laws are unqualified. They're absolute. They neither penalize only oppressive forms of homosexuality, nor excuse either party to the act. So it's not like there's different flavors or versions of it. It's just if this happens, a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman. Uh, they've done what's detestable. All right. Now we have to stop for a moment and realize the battle that we're fighting is that this, to some people, it seems, makes the Bible itself look bad. First of all, the death penalty, which we don't carry out, we, we don't. I mean, we have a death penalty for just certain moral transgressions, but they don't. They're not directly coming from the Bible. There's a biblical basis to it, but we don't. You know, punish uh, you know, by death people who worship other gods or other things like that. But then there's just the general problem that we have with the Leviticus code. Um, and so we're basically charged with inconsistency. So we follow some aspects of the Levitical holiness code, but not other aspects of it. So um, aren't Christians being inconsistent when they quote part of Leviticus as though it were still binding and leave out other parts? So there's this. Um, article here by Ben Cohen about um, ESPN's Chris Broussard as a homophobe and a bigot, whether he likes it or not. All right, and this is what he said. So Chris Broussard came out. He's a Christian. And he came out, you know, when, when a, an NBA player came out of the closet, and he just said, I just think that homosexuality is a sin according to the scripture. I think fornication is a sin. You know, he just said that, just biblical sexuality, and got hammered. He said this, Uh, So this is Ben Cohen talking about Chris Broussard, quote, It is almost certain Broussard ignores 90% of the gibberish in Leviticus, and for good reason. It has absolutely nothing to do with the way we live our lives now. We eat juicy steaks. People who cheat on their spouses aren't condemned to die. As a society, most of us have progressed as we learn more about ourselves and our natural world. All right, right there, that shows what we would call an evolutionary view of ethics, morality, and religion. So basically the Bible was a snapshot in that evolution of where people were at back then. But we have, it, it definitely does not hold what we do, which is the inspiration authority of the Bible. The Bible is a transcultural, uh, you know, timeless word to the human race, um, but it's just part, it was an evolutionary snapshot of patriarchy and slavery and harsh treatment of women and all that. And we've evolved beyond that now. That, most of that's obsolete. You can see that right in his comment. We know now that homosexuality is not unnatural. What a shocking statement that is. It has existed in every society on the planet throughout history um, and within other species. That's his proof that it's not unnatural. Um, It does not harm anyone, and we know it doesn't encourage others to become gay, so we move on unless that is you harbor your own prejudices that lead you to pick and choose biblical laws according to your particular taste. So he's actually raising a hermeneutical question here that he wouldn't call it that, but he's saying like how, on what basis do you pick and choose? And that is exactly what Broussard is doing. Although he may not understand it, he is a homophobe and a bigot. Why? Because he has, taken, he has been highly selective in his biblical beliefs. Should he take to the airwaves and denounce ribeye steaks, he'd have a leg to stand on, but he hasn't. And we can only conclude he opposes Jason Collins' lifestyle because deep down, it is something his own masculinity is incapable of coming to terms with, end quote. That's the homophobic argument. Well, there it is. What I'm saying is that Ben Cohen and people like it don't know what they're talking about. If you have studied the Bible as a Christian and in, indwelt by the Holy Spirit any length of time, you know very well that the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament is complex. That the laws of the Old Testament could be broken into three categories, national laws, uh, religious laws, and moral laws. And the moral laws are timeless and transcultural. Um, generally, you know, as you look at the 10 commandments, I say generally only because the uh, Sabbath regulation is very controversial, it's difficult for us to figure out. Uh, Because the Sabbath got moved from the uh, seventh day to the first day. I don't want to get into all that. What I'm saying is there's a transcultural, timeless moral law, and we all know it. For example, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that sums up the law. We know that that's transcultural, it's in the New Testament. We also know that the moral law, the Levit- Levitical code, has been fulfilled in Christ. We don't say it's obsolete. Well, we could say it's obsolete. The author of Hebrews says it's obsolete, but we, uh, probably uh, the word that Jesus used the most was fulfilled. It's been fulfilled in Christ, his death on the cross. So we don't do animal sacrifice anymore. We don't cir- do circumcision. The division between Jew and Gentile, the barrier, the dividing wall has been broken down, and now there's just one new man uh, called Christian, faith in Christ. So, but. How how do we expect a non-Christian, worldly, secular person to even begin to understand all that? Uh, it's a whole world of hermeneutics and interpretation that he knows nothing about, and so he's standing on the outside looking in. And by the way, people ate ate meat, red meat, back in the Old Testament. I, he doesn't even know the Levitical thing; you can't eat blood. So it's interesting. It's also interesting. Kohen means priest. That's Hebrew for priest. I find that interesting. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know about quick quick defense, I've been trying to give it over the last two or three minutes. What I want to say is there are some things that are, have been fulfilled in Christ. There are some things that were particular to the Jewish nation, such as the, the pilgrimages that, to the one place that God had chosen, and different things about the kingship and things like that. And then there are timeless cultural laws. So that would be the quick defense. I would say that there are aspects of the law that are timeless. The others were specifically, and I would say even apologetically, I would, I would say they were designed to point to Christ as the savior of the world. That's why he set the Jews apart as unique. That was his plan. That when calling Abraham the father of the Jewish nation, it was to give the Messiah a context. Mm-hmm. And so he mm-hmm. set up the moral law, lo- I mean, the, um, the, the time-bound, like circumcision, the dietary regulations, to make the Jews a peculiar people, by that I mean a, a set-apart people, peculiar in an in old use of the word, that they were unique, they didn't blend in well, to give the Messiah basically an address. Among the billions of humans that have ever lived, we can find him. We know who he is. It's Jesus. So, so many of those prophecies, like Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, salvation is from the Jews. Well, the word the Jews means something because of the, of the barrier that was set up that set the Jews apart. Once Jesus came and he's identified, it's obsolete. Don't need it anymore. But again, how can they begin to understand that? It just, it takes a long time to figure all that out. Craig, we're called on to be holy. That's right. We're called on to be different. So we're going to talk about the word unnatural right from Romans 1. Here's an interesting thing. I remember as I was dealing with the issue of evolution and um, just teaching about what's known as natural theology. Natural theology is the way that God is revealed in nature. And we'll talk about that in just a minute in Romans 1. But I came across a a quote by an atheist, ardent uh, supporter of of, uh, evolution. And he was a, a very high level biologist, an expert in biology. And he said, when it comes to biology, You have to constantly keep in mind that the things you're studying seem to have been created for a purpose but weren't. (laughs) If there has ever been a better statement of suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, there it is. You have to constantly keep this in mind. There seems to be purpose everywhere in the biological world. Seems to be. Everything seems to have a function and a purpose, but don't be deceived. All of it's random what in the world? But do you see now how that fits into the homosexuality issue? There are certain parts of the body, there are certain organs that have a certain function, and it's not that. And, and so that's where the word unnatural, we know what unnatural means, but there's a bigger kind of worldview here where they're denying purpose in everything, which you just think about the, the godless... Darwinian evolutionary way of looking at life and I'm going to begin my sermon by asking those three apologetic questions. Where do we come from? Why are we here? Where are we heading? You know, those things. That's what I'm going to begin the sermon with. They have no answer to any of that. What an empty way of living life. There is no purpose. There's no function. There's no reason for any of this. Whatever you enjoy doing, just do it. That's what we're dealing with here. So it's bigger than just homosexuality. It's just a whole worldview. And what we're saying is, you know, that God created us for himself and our highest good is found in glorifying him and knowing him. So we're going to talk about Let's Let's go now to the most important passage on homosexuality, which is Romans chapter one. So I I want to just skip ahead uh, on the Mosaic law. There's so much we could do on Mosaic law, but we are not picking and choosing uh, randomly. I mean, you could argue we're picking and choosing, but we did it you know, in light of what the New Testament has taught us about those parts of the law that are fulfilled, I would never have the courage to use the word obsolete if the author of Hebrews hadn't called it. You look it up, Hebrews 8.13 says that those animal sacrifices are obsolete. So part of the Mosaic law is definitely obsolete. Jesus used the word fulfilled, and that's fine. They're both the same thing. They're done. We don't do them anymore. That's what obsolete means, but they had a purpose. They had a time, but that time's done now. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. So let's move on now Romans 1, 24 to 27. Robert Gagnon said this, with good reason, Romans 1, 24 to 27 is commonly seen as the central text on the issue of homosexual conduct on which Christians must base their moral doctrine. Here's the thing, friends, everything that we say or do, we got to go to Romans 4, 3 and ask, what does the scripture say? That's the foundation to everything I do in my preaching ministry, my teaching ministry. That's why I did that sermon three weeks ago on Christ's view of scripture. This is what we're here for. This is what you're here for right now. This is Bible for life. That's what our class is. So we got to find out, are our views whimsical? It's because we have some irrational fear? No. It's because this is what the Scripture says. And the Scripture is never going to change on this. And again, going to the spiritual analogy I've used of, of spiritual poison, that's where I get this idea. This will kill them. It will kill them eternally. And we should care about that that's the moral high ground, friend. God defines it that way. We have to go say, we're going to take our stand on the truth for their sake, not in any arrogant way, like we're any better than anybody. We are sinners saved by grace. There's no difference between us and them. So we just, we have, but in terms of the issue itself, is homosexual homosexual practice sinful? Romans 1, 24 to 27 clearly says yes, it is, and it's never going to change. Does not matter what the Supreme Court of the United States of America says. Let me keep reading the Gagman quote. This is true for several reasons. It is the most substantial and explicit discussion of the issue in the Bible. It is located in the New Testament. It makes an explicit statement, not only about same-sex intercourse among men, but also about lesbianism. And it occurs within a substantial corpus of material from a single writer which allows the interpreter to properly contextualize the writer's stance on homosexuality. Romans 1, 24 to 27 is also the most difficult text for proponents of homosexual be- behavior to overturn. It's not going anywhere. And Romans itself is given a unique role in the, in the Bible. It's got a unique job to do. Star differs from star in splendor. Not every Bible book is equally important. Romans is more important than third John. It's not more true. It's just more significant. Why? Because it is the most careful, logical unfolding of the gospel, the need for the gospel, what the gospel is, what the gospel does in people's lives, all the way through to the end of our lives. That's what Romans does. And so we have this teaching on homosexuality, in the section on the wrath of God revealed against all manner of wickedness and godlessness. It's not just homosexuality he'll deal with here. Go ahead, Alan. Yeah. I mean, as I said recently in a sermon, I've said many times before, the the worst thing that God can do to any human being in this world is to give them over to their sin, to stop fighting them from doing what they want to do. That he will never do to any of his children. He will fight your sin even when you're not. (laughs) He will never let you go. So He'll make you miserable. He'll make you feel guilty. He'll work on you. He'll discipline you. He'll bring people into your life. He will fight, fight, fight your sin until you're fighting it like you should along with Him by the Spirit. Isn't that grace? Isn't that incredible? God's goodness to us. We're no different than them. We would easily drift. We would take a right hand or left hand turn immediately if God left us to Satan and to the demons. We would be gone. So just, just understand that you have a great high priest interceding for you every moment of every day. And you need it. Let's keep going. Is homosexuality like any other sin, or like all other sins? The answer is yes in some ways and no in some ways. So we need a a balanced argument or answer on this. Like any other sin, it has the power to condemn a soul to hell. Let's keep our eyes on that. When, When the Bible defines sin, if somebody does it and they're unrepentant, be not deceived, that leads to condemnation on Judgment Day. And secondly, like any other sin, it is covered by the blood of Christ, completely covered, atoned for by the sacrificial atonement of Christ. Nothing else is needed, so it's sufficient. So in that way, homosexuality is true, is like any other sin, but in some ways it's different unlike all other sins, is afforded special treatment by God, along with idolatry, as a central example of depravity in Romans 1. In other words, when when Paul wants to talk about how the wrath of God is being revealed against all manner of godlessness and wickedness, he rolls out two sins, idolatry and homosexuality. These are the two that he discusses at length. So it it receives, therefore, special focus, special treatment. And secondly, unlike other sins, is afforded special treatment by our culture, So our culture is handling it different than other sins. There aren't similar movements to get us to think differently about grand theft auto. I mean, it's not really a sin. Nobody's saying that, (laughs) okay? People want to keep owning their cars. Yeah, I totally accept what you're saying. I think uh, this is not a comprehensive list of the way that homosexuality is different. One of them is just how stubbornly people have to violate God's clearly intended purpose in biology. You just have to just forge ahead and do unnatural things. So in that way also, it's different. All right, let's uh, walk through Romans, big picture. Um, and again, everything, everything comes from hermeneutics. It comes from biblical interpretation. You know, we're going to be consistent. When our, our unbelieving, you know, neighbors and co-workers and family members accuse us of hermeneutical issues, we have to take that seriously and be certain that we're doing <coughs> Handling the Bible rightly. They were rightly dividing the word of truth. So, Romans 1 Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, righteousness that is from faith for faith, as one translation says, from faith for faith, just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. So, Romans 1 17 gives us the theme of the whole book of Romans. The whole book of Romans is about the gospel and how it is the power of God to save sinners. Having done that then, he then turns, as I've said, to the wrath of God uh, against sin. Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made... So that men are without excuse. So this is what's called natural theology. By looking at nature, we can see that there is a God and we can see what he's like. His invisible qualities are put on display by looking at the, uh, the Rocky Mountains or the Grand Canyon or, um, you know, nature, beasts, birds, ecosystems. It's just incredible. Biology should lead people to worship just lead people to praise God for just the greatness of his majesty. So Romans 1 says you can look at what he did, what God has made, and know that there is a God and what he's like. One thing you can't know from looking at nature is that he has a son who died on the cross. That you cannot get from nature. So people still have to preach the gospel, but they can get that there's a God from what has been made. That includes biology. By looking at what has been made, we can see the greatness of God, that we ourselves, our bodies, are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amazing. The human brain is staggeringly complex. Incredible. But God's wrath is being revealed. Revealed means if he hadn't told us, we wouldn't know. But God is telling us that he he has a wrath against wickedness. He is angry about it. You could say, why? Well, God created this beautiful world, this beautiful spiritual world and physical world, and what has sin done to it? Blown it apart. And he's angry. Imagine a painter who works for years on a masterpiece and someone comes with black, a can of black spray paint and spray, sprays it all over or, or a knife and rips it to shreds. I, I, I can't imagine a passionate reaction. So God has a passionate reaction. He hates evil. Now, then he talks about two exchanges. People, Paul uses the language of exchange. The first dark exchange is idolatry. The second dark exchange is homosexuality. We're just walking through Romans we're what we're doing here. Verse 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they professed or claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So that's the dark exchange of idolatry, which we've been talking about in the section on meat sacrifice to idols. What is idolatry? And how people exchange the glory of God for something that they made. All right. The second dark exchange is homosexuality. Uh, verse 24 through 27. Here's the text. This is the key text. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen." Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. So that's the key text. Now, we're going to walk through it with as much as time allows, but I want to leave some room for the transforming power of the gospel, and we're down to 15 minutes left here. So uh, you have a careful walking through Romans 1, 24 to 27 in your hands. So if you want to just do good study, read this this afternoon. We're you going to ask a question, yeah here, it's being used. What did God intend when he set up the body, the human body? So you look at biology and you can tell that the eyes were made for sight, not for eating. So if you're with someone and they start spooning their cereal into their eyeballs, it's like if, if they're not just goofing around, it's like you're dealing with mental illness here or they're sticking it in their ears or something like that. Look, that's just not what those were made for. Concerning same-sex attraction, we've talked a lot about this. Keep in mind, it is possible, this is an understatement, but it is possible to sin with your mind and your heart, not just with your body. So there are lusts that we need to put to death. So just not being active in that lifestyle, but meanwhile, there's all kinds of dark thoughts that are going on. That's not okay. We have to you know, take every thought captive. And all of us struggle with sinful thoughts. Just Say that you don't, is false. We have to battle for our minds and our hearts. So that's, I could say a lot more about that, and I have. Let's finish Romans 1 uh, 28 through 32. Therefore, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, just think how horrible that is. Uh, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So again, keep in mind, Romans isn't written to just address homosexuality. It's written much bigger than that. And so by the end of Romans 1, we just see a river of corruption flowing from our depraved nature. And so disobedience to parents is listed here, right? Envy, strife, which is just having conflicts, (coughs) arguments. It's just a river of sin, river of sin. So beginning and end of the section point to the deadly danger of sin, which is the wrath and penalty of God. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. And then verse 32, they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. We have to renew our commitment to the biblical doctrine of hell. We need to understand what the Bible teaches about hell. The Bible teaches that hell is a place of eternal conscious torment from God. That's what the, and God's not embarrassed about it. He taught it to us in the pages of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, Revelation 14, Jesus in Matthew 25, in the sheep and the goats teaching. Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. We need to understand that that's what we, by the grace of God, have been delivered from. Yeah, go ahead. Brother, I I agree. I understand what you're asking, and and it's not easy. You know, I spent a long time praying over and studying over the head coverings teaching, and I I feel over the next two weeks that I'll be faithful that there's a transcultural principle of male leadership in the church and in the home. There it is. I'm basically preaching a whole sermon on one verse next week. Um, So if you're ready to be shocked and horrified, that's what I'm (laughs) gonna teach. But there are cultural manifestations of that that are important, but they are malleable. So there's gonna be ways in which every culture will show male leadership. That's what I'm going to do. And so it's such a complex passage that I can't do the main central teaching plus a careful walking through the text. But I will try to do a careful walking through the text on the second sermon. Uh, you know, what does it mean because of the angels? What do they have to do with it? I mean, I'm going to try my best to answer it. But even in the New Testament, you're right. There are some things that are clearly not binding on us anymore, such as Paul's command to Timothy to bring the, cl- the cloak and the scrolls that he left with Carpus at Troas. Any of you ever been to Troas? Have you found Paul's cloak? You know, we all know immediately you don't have to do that even though it's in the Bible. So right there, you know there's some commands that are not binding on us. So you just, it's, it's, but that's what it means. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's the work of good teachers of the Bible. And so what I do every Sunday is I try to give you not just that text so that you can feed on that for that week, to feed you but also to show you methodology so you can feed yourself well the rest of the week. Does that make sense? So it's, it's not easy to rightly divide, but that's a very good question. We're down to seven or eight minutes, so I want to uh, just skip ahead, please. I, I, I really would urge that you take the time and read the details of exegesis here. What I'm saying is, and, and again, I've preached on this. You can listen to my sermon online. You can go to Two Journeys. You can see previous teachings I've done on this very topic in BFL settings. They're available. I'm not teaching anything different. What I'm saying is... Romans 1, 24 to 27, makes it very plain that God forever will call homosexual behavior a sin. And that, that sin has the power to condemn souls to hell. Now, what I want to do is turn the corner with the few minutes we have left and say, what is the remedy? And we need to keep that um, in our hearts. So just skip ahead. I don't know what page that it's on, but let's just go ahead in the Roman numeral. That's all exegesis. All right, ver- Roman numeral four. The grace of God to transform sinners. All right, so the gospel, I mean, Romans doesn't end with what wicked sinners we all are. And we are all naturally, there's that word again, sorry, apart from Christ, you know, wicked sinners. I got to work on that naturally thing because we weren't made to be that way originally. This is a twisted perversion of the image of God. You want to know what we're made to be? We'll see it in heaven when we're glorified. That's what we're made for. Anyway, let's keep going. The fact of the matter is that the gospel has the power to transform sinners. So, you know, everyone sins, Romans 3, 9 through 11, there's no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God, all have turned aside. We're all sinners, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The awesome message of the gospel is that God sent his son to die on the cross as an atoning (laughs) sacrifice for our sins. Romans 3, 23 to 25, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So what that means is Jesus is a propitiation. He is a sacrifice who dies under the wrath of God, extinguishing the wrath of God. So there is no wrath of God for those who believe in Jesus. So all of the wrath that we've been talking about in Romans 1, all of it, not just homosexuality, but also idolatry, and then that river of 21 different sins at the end of Romans 1, all of them are atoned for by faith in the blood of Jesus. And God has no more wrath against you. Praise God. And that's true of of an uh, ex-homosexual as well. So that's the gospel. All sinners then are justified by faith apart from works. Um, That's it. And then all justified people are called on to live a life of holiness. So you can't go on in the lifestyle, whatever the lifestyle is, whether it's homosexuality or any other sin mentioned. You, you cannot go on sinning so that grace may abound. We have to put sin to death by the Spirit. We have to mortify, as we've been saying, you know, recently <coughs> even. Now here's, here's the key. People can, and I would say must, become ex-homosexuals if they're in that lifestyle. All right, 1 Corinthians 6, and we've walked through this, and again, you can hear the sermon online for that one. But it says, Do you not not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, Mm -hmm. nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. So that's just the most radical statement you can ever have on that genetic basis of homosexuality. You can become an ex-homosexual. That's the power of such were some of you. That's why I put it as the sermon title when I preach that. We want to go right down Main Street and tell the truth. You can leave that lifestyle. You can leave that sin and be washed and regenerated and made a new person. But can is not enough. We have to say you must. Do not be deceived. Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Satan is deceiving people. So all the rainbow churches, that they're, they're trying to blend Christianity with homosexuality. It's a satanic deception. It's a lie. And he wants to do that because he's a murderer. He's a soul murderer. He's a body murderer and a soul murderer. That's what Satan is. So the idea that homosexuality is genetic, that's how they link it to the civil rights movement. Say it's like race. Like I, am a, like I could say I'm a Caucasian. Or somebody who's African-American say, I am an African-American. Somebody else will, well, in the same way, I'm a homosexual. It's like, no, they're, they're, that's a lifestyle choice. And you can become an ex-homosexual. So the grace of God can transform. Yes, go ahead, please. Yeah, I think the word lust is helpful. Uh, here's what I would say. Any pull, I just preached a, a sermon on temptation. What is temptation? No temptation has seized you except what is common. Temptation is like a magnetic attraction towards something evil. So any, it's a temptation, any draw or pull towards something evil must be killed. We have to kill it. So I, I, is that sufficient? Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, any I mean, any pull towards something unbiblical is not OK. It's not fine. I'm not acting on the lifestyle. I already said a few moments ago, we can sin in our minds and hearts and never with our bodies. That's still a sin. Coveting is something you, you never do that with your body. It has physical you know, effects. But coveting is 100% done internally. And it's Clear. Any pull inside your mind and heart towards something the Bible forbids is a temptation, a lust. There are a lot of different words. And you must kill it. But let's be honest. We all have unrighteous pulls. And we have to, all of us, fight those. That's the battle, friends. That's what I've, fighting the good fight of faith is. we got to fight until we don't have to fight anymore. And I'm looking forward to that day, friends. So go ahead. I understand. I think it's best for us to keep the topic and scripture under under our feet and this is what i'm saying clearly first of all that any pull in the heart toward something the bible forbids is by definition a temptation and we must resist it we must kill it secondly whatever is true noble right pure lovely admirable excellent or praiseworthy think about those things and we would say think about only those things we all have to fight the battle of the mind what i, I don't i'm not sure if i'm exactly hearing you amanda properly and I don't know exactly, Jay, I know that you're concerned about Sam and I think it's a worthy concern. But what I'm saying is it is okay to not have any strong attraction heterosexually. I think that's of the essence of the gift of singleness. So anyway, we're out of time. Um, So next week we're gonna finish up one more controversial topic. Don't don't think that because we finished the BFL class there are no other controversial topics. (laughs) These are just the hottest ones that we're addressing and trying to just give a methodology, okay? Let's close in prayer.